traveled across the country to urge Congress to create a pathway to citizenship for central frontline workers, dreamers, and other immigrants. I'm in DC, I'm really excited. We're gonna to march to the Capitol for citizenship for all. Um, my first time in DC, really excited. I feel the energy. Newman Ortiz says the trip represents a tipping point. Our message was for them to really understand that we had to really work hard um, to give the Biden administration and Democrats a second chance under this administration and, um, and that they have to deliver because um, this is it. This is the end of the line for Latino voters and for multiracial youth that have been part of this movement, that this is the end of the line. Uh, they cannot come back empty-handed and uh, assume that people will treat them as the lesser of two evils in the primaries or in the general elections in 2022. For Making Contact, I'm Zoe Sullivan in Madison, Wisconsin. From the Midwest to New England to the Dakotas and Tennessee, a number of other states have crossed a 10% population threshold for Latino growth. One of those states is Georgia. In Georgia, the story really is um, that the AAPI and Latino populations are driving the growth in Georgia. Um, what's really interesting is when it for the in, in terms of voting rights um, and voting, there's this thing called Section 203 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 203 says that language assistance materials, and in some cases, bilingual poll workers, have to be provided to voters who are part of a designated language minority group. So people who speak Asian, American Indian, Alaska Native, and Spanish languages are covered. So for example, the entire state of California is covered under Section 203 of the Voting Rights Act for um, Spanish. Um, so every county is supposed to provide election materials like a, a, to in in Spanish. In Gwinnett County, I believe, which is also in Metro Atlanta, um, they're covered under Section 203 for Spanish. Um, they have a sizable Latino population that meets the certain designated thresholds in Section 203. Um, Section 203 is inc was incredibly important for Latino communities in being able to access the right to vote. Um, you know, the 1965 Voting Rights Act was probably one of the most amazing achievements of American democracy um, and really put us on the path to being a true democracy. You're listening to A More Perfect Union Latinos, Minority Majorities, and Redistricting on Making Contact. For information about the topics, people, and organizations we're covering in the show, check out our website at radioproject.org. That's radioproject.org. We'll be right back. So we know what the census is and how redistricting data affects the way we draw maps for voting districts. We've heard how a growing Latino electorate in Wisconsin contributed to the election of Democratic President Joe Biden in 2020. In September of 2021, California held a $276 million 
recall election of another Democrat, Governor Gavin Newsom. And so I'm humbled and grateful to the millions and millions of Californians that exercise their fundamental right to vote. And thank you to 40 million Americans, 40 million Californians, and thank you for rejecting this recall. According to the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative, in voting precincts where the greatest number of Latinos live, over 60% voted against the recall of their Democratic governor. In precincts with the fewest number of Latinos, less than half voted in favor of the recall. Talk of a citizenship question on the census, which did not take place, possibly resulted in an undercount of Latinos. There is, uh, it's pretty well documented and I think publicized, and hopefully people know about this, that the Trump administration tried to put a citizenship question on the census. Um, the census, you are legally required to fill out the census because the federal government is legally required under the U.S. Constitution to count every single person. Um, and and so um, in order to kind of undercount not just people that might not be citizens, right, but undercount and scare communities of all kind um, or turn people off from answering the census, they decided to try to put a citizenship question. Um, that it was uh, that that idea, that question, could the could the Trump uh, Census Bureau put a system citizenship question on the census made its way all the way to Supreme Court um, and they said no you can't do that um, but the damage was already done like people were pretty turned off by this um, and there is some research that Dr. Barreto who is the faculty director of the UCLA Voting Rights Project did he was also an expert witness in this it's called the citizenship question case um, in, in that case um he was an expert witness and testified about how it would just ha- it would have an effect on, you know, not just non-citizens who wouldn't want to answer the question, but second generation, third generation Americans who live in communities that are probably filled with immigrants um, because they were turned off and they didn't want to intimidate anyone in their community. It's a pretty intimidating question. You're giving your information to a hostile uh, government uh, towards you famously the Trump administration and President Trump himself would say a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric um, and so in California a, a state that has a high um, immigrant population not just documented but also undocumented immigrants um, people probably didn't want to answer the census because they were scared of giving their information to the Trump census department To a lot of people who felt like the the administration, the Trump administration was attacking their communities, I think the idea is not so much, you know, it's not knowing really what the census is, um, but then also like, why would I want to give my information to the government under Trump? Um, and so that was pretty powerful. And I, I think either way like the the reason why this is a big deal i think and this is really important to talk about it's like oh well why does this matter like who cares about like asking about this question um it's because the national trend and the national trend is that whites are share like the 
the white voter share and then also like the white population in this country is drastic is like falling and it's fallen for the first time um in american history that white growth has been outpaced by other growth um this is a tremendously diversifying nation and so that is threatening to people who believe that diverse people don't want to vote for them and so the idea is that if you can change or um, suppress the demographic change because the census is what matters for redistricting. So if you can undercount diverse communities by scaring them, then they won't show up on the census. So even though they exist there, you don't have to count them in for redistricting because the only real numbers that matter for that for the initial form of redistricting, um, you know, barring some barring a court case or, a, you know, later on or I guess just to make it simpler, uh, it mattered to scare people into not answering the census because there was a belief that the people who would be scared are are diverse people and the people who would be emboldened to answer a question like that would be people who are not as diverse or who didn't have concerns about, you know, the idea of citizenship or, or sharing their personal information with with the government and those are the people that they that decision makers on that question thought would vote for them. If people aren't counted in the census, then they're not included in the overall number of people to consider when drawing district maps in the redistricting process. Every state has their own redistricting process. As we heard earlier, community groups are contesting the process in Wisconsin, where the state legislature has historically drawn the maps. In California, there are redistricting commissions at every level of government, from the state to the counties, school districts, and cities. Voting rights attorney, Sunny Wachneen. LA, LA City is redistricting and they've appointed people. The different different city councilors have appointed people to redistrict. LA County this year has had a public um, redistricting commission where then what happens is they select commissioners who've applied from the public um, and then they hire staff, so experts, to help, help these commissioners draw the districts. It's, so in other <laughs> words, it's a very tangled, complicated process um, when you get down to the local level. Yeah, when you get down to the local level, I think especially in California, there's a lot of different places doing things differently. So um, yeah, in LA County, uh, they adopted... For the county, they have adopted a citizens commission. In the city, they've adopted, they've appointed people to um, kind of run the hearings and help adopt a map to insult to kind of remove it from the LA city councilors. Um, for example, in Orange County, the the county supervisors are going to be drawing their districts um, with the help of experts and staff that they've hired. So it's just it's different all over the place. Mm-hmm. I think the concept, right, for a um, independent commission is really that citizens, for the most part, want to do. They don't have the same um, motivations as elected officials on how they draw districts. Uh, for example, elected officials uh, they would like to draw districts that will keep them in power, and they're able to. And they might broker deals with other elected officials on a map to say, okay, well, you know. I'll cut out this area of your district that might be 
more Republican or more Democrat if you put it in my district so that way I have an easier election and that in that way you know XYZ or I really want the airport and the ports in my district because I think I want that power right over those people um, or as like a bargaining chip later on in the or I want this area because I think it might have a lot of demographic change in the future and those might be voters that I can win. Um, those are some of the motivations that elected officials may have. Um, citizens don't really have those same motivations because although a lot of citizens are partisan, um, citizen commissions recognize that people are partisan. They take the equal amount of, you know, in California, Republicans and Democrats and then also non-affiliated voters they vet them to make sure that they're not lobbyists, that they haven't done, you know, I think contributed a certain amount of money to political candidates and that even though they come with these political leanings or non-political leanings, supposedly as a nonpartisan or that they're whatever, that they want to do a good job and they want to follow the law. And so what happens really on these independent commissions is that you have people who then go out and hire experts to then draw the maps um, as well. And it's a little bit more of a public process. There's this, you know, RFPs, a lot of different organizations can then bid on it. Um, that's kind of the concept is that people don't have the same motivations as politicians um, in drawing maps and that they'll be more responsive because they're closer to their own communities. And I think that also people of all different types, I think if you look at even the polling for HR1, which is bans partisan gerrymandering, People don't like the idea of politicians cementing themselves in power, regardless of how you feel about your elected official. You might really like them. You might like, you know, be a heavily partisan person. Um, but in that respect, people don't really like the concept of politicians picking and choosing their voters. Walkning explains that the downside to the Citizen Commission and the redistricting process is that it's highly technical. I just want to say also it's it's not just about again like political power like who represents you it's also about resources about um getting money for roads and for and for your school districts and having different having a different voice again yeah on like are you going to put a community garden there and like is that actually you know who's deciding what um and it's not just in the political sense it's also in these really other important contexts that people care about Sunny Wachnin is the Voting Rights Managing Attorney and Counsel at UCLA's Latino Policy and Politics Initiative. You've been listening to A More Perfect Union, Latinos, Minority Majorities, and Redistricting on Making Contact. For information about topics, people, and organizations that we covered in this program, check out our website at radioproject.org. The Making Contact team is Jessica Partnow, Sonia Green, Anita Johnson, Salima Hamarani, Sabine Blazon, and I'm this week's host, Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.
this is Ursula K. Le Guin, and you are listening to KBU, the cheerful voice of social conscience, KBOO Portland. It is the KBOO Fall Drive, and our theme is the sounds of democracy. Everything you hear on KBOO is, in its own way, the sound of democracy, because we are a community radio station. Community radio is one of the most democratic types of media. We're non-commercial and independent. We're supported by our members so that we can keep the airwaves democratic and continue to bring you the valuable voices of your community. Democracy is an experiment, and so is community radio. We're featuring content focused on democracy itself and democratic ideas across the schedule of this drive, and you can support KBOO by donating 